podcast one production. Because the narcissist is so focused on themselves being perfect, they almost need to find fault in another person to prop up their sense of grandiosity. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. For many years, we heard of leaders who were being labelled as sociopaths, crazy people we had to work with who were plotting for their own good and power. Now the new label for almost anyone who has treated us and others badly is a narcissist. The term has been a kind of stereotype of the big self-promoting high flyer with power, money and maybe a trophy partner. Someone who manipulates the truth to their own benefit or simply someone who is all about themselves. The fact is there is much more to narcissism than most of us understand. So much so that we're going to do a three-part series. In this three-part series, I speak with Dr. B. Pennell, Associate Professor of Coaching at the Australian College of Applied Psychology, an executive coach and researcher with a PhD in adult development, and a deeply curious human, a brilliant presenter and communicator. In our first episode, we really defined what a narcissist was. And in this episode, we're going to talk to B. around being in a relationship with a narcissist. B, welcome back. It's great to have you to talk about narcissism and the narcissists around us. I've got a bit of a confronting question for you. How do I know if I'm a narcissist or don't I care? It's an interesting one because in relation to this term narcissism, we do think of it on like a spectrum. So one end of the spectrum is narcissistic personality disorder that needs a formal diagnosis from a psychologist or psychiatrist. The other end of the spectrum is possibly most of us with narcissistic tendencies. And so someone may be diagnosed, but the, the challenge with that is very few narcissists actually step forward for therapy because they tend to blame other people rather than themselves for their behaviour around them. So I don't care. Basically, that's one point. And then the other point is that someone might be labelled a narcissist, but they will tend to turn that and back and blame others. And so it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfect. It's all your fault. Those of us who might be labelling ourselves as narcissists are probably down the other end of the spectrum of, oh, I'm just noticing some narcissistic tendencies here. But most people don't tend to diagnose themselves as narcissists because that's actually part of the condition. And can they be cured? Um, it's, it is very difficult. And this is why I think, you know, for those of us, it's probably most of us have encountered some form of quite narcissistic patterns in others. It's very difficult because they actually don't focus on self-improvement. Most of the advice is given is to walk away. Pack your bags, do what you can, you know, survive while you can and walk away because of the very narrow focus that the narcissist has on other people rather than themselves, they actually don't tend to be cured as such. Okay. So thank you for that reminder. Before we start talking about coping with a relationship Mm. with a narcissist, anything else we need to be reminded of about the characteristics of a narcissist? 
I think basically to understand a narcissist in an intimate relationship or even a friendship relationship, it can be really helpful to remember how is a narcissist formed. And it's this idea that a parent will neglect the child usually and also praise one usually superficial aspect of them. And so internally they create this split where they feel completely rotten, um, insecure, self-loathing even is one part of them that's usually very deeply buried and externally lots of grandiosity and, and kind of this superficial sense. The reason why it's helpful to know that is because that's those two parts of themselves is where it gets sticky in relationships. So we'll unpack that as we go. Fantastic. Thank you for that reminder. So how does a narcissist see the world? It's, there's, it's In some ways, it's like their stage, it's their opportunity to shine. There's um, lots of competitive elements to a narcissist, very much about a sense of being first. In some ways, um, a narcissist has this quality of being entitled, actually. So maybe not even competitive as just like, I'm entitled to be first, I'm the leader. And it's like this sort of taken for granted. Um, and most of the time, there's this sense of superiority. There's something special about me that others, maybe they can't see. Um, I'm I'm the leader. We've, we've seen certain leaders uh, talk about this in, in the press recently. I'm the chosen one and so on. And I'm doing what I am doing to serve you minions kind of thing. So very much this sort of hierarchy that gets uh, built up. And no empathy, you said earlier. Yeah, so this is why narcissists can be very difficult to deal with them because most of us will just say, hang on a minute, what about how I feel? Let's have a conversation or, you know, maybe that's in a, in a healthy perspective or we might be lashing out with rage and anger. Hang on, what about how I feel? The narcissist, actually, it's almost like they're colorblind. They, you know, like some people can't even see green, can't see red. The narcissist is not that they're um, see feelings and just turn away from them, they actually don't even really get it. They don't, because they don't have the ability to regulate their own feelings, they haven't learned how to stay in, in touch with, with themselves. When they see someone else having a temper tantrum or even being hurt, it's like, what's going on here? It's almost like alien to them. Okay. So interesting. And you said they can't really define a nuance or you're either with them mm. or against them. And I yes. think that's very important to know if you're in a relationship with a narcissist mm. that you can't ever win them over if you're on the outer. Yes, and that's why it makes it very difficult to leave a narcissistic relationship. And uh, I've worked with many women in particular um, that are in financial situations, you know, marriage with, with shared financial commitments, and very difficult to leave a narcissist in that situation because of the fear that they'll be left destitute because often the narcissist has access to the better lawyers and, you know, the higher paying job and so on. It creates a very um, big power differential that can make it very difficult for someone to leave. Okay. So they see the world as very much about them. Mm. What does a narcissist do in a relationship? So what are some of the things that you can describe for us? Yeah, sure. So I guess the easy way to think about this is how does a narcissist start a relationship? And their their initial persona is very charming. It's like too good to be true. You know, this idea of a knight in shining armour. Certainly women can be narcissistic in relationships, although we do notice a trend with um, with men attracting women that are, and the men is the narcissist. Uh, so there's knight in shining armour and also this um, quality of I'm everything you've ever dreamed of. And and this this sense of what a narcissist will do, will, we call it love bombing. So at the very beginning stages of a relationship, you'll feel overwhelmed with love, with presence, with praise, with attention, with, you know, lots of texting and, and so on. And 
And there can be this voice. I'm sure many of us have had this experience of like, wow, this is almost too good to be true. And also what happens at the very beginning of relationships, there's often just moments where you think, hang on, that's not quite right. Or, oh, that was a bit nasty. Or, oh, they've gone a bit cold here. Just these micro moments where it kind of raises your suspicion. And basically the, the advice now we know is if it's too good to be true, then maybe that actually is the case. And the same could be said, I imagine, at work, and we'll talk about that in episode three, but this idea of being seduced into a new mm. role or yes. a, an idea for a job. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what what do they do? Um, so apart from this idea of love bombing, this is kind of at the early stages, then what tends to happen, it's very difficult to maintain that long term. And once um, the narcissist has kind of, in some ways, kind of captured their prey, they also tend to rush things very quickly in an intimate relationship. So someone might want to get married very, you know, marry you very quickly, for example. They also may override what seems to be common sense kind of decisions, uh, asking you to make very big sacrifices um, right at the beginning. For example, move across the country to be with them. And if you make those decisions very early on before, you know, the, the deeper levels have come out, you, that's when you can find yourself really isolated and stuck. But then once the relationship is kind of locked in and there's a sense of stability for the narcissist, then that kind of insecurity, the shame, the self-loathing will tend to come up and out. And then there's a whole lot of behaviours that come out in a relationship and that's where we really can get stuck. So one of them is this idea of um, stonewalling. So it's it's basically putting up a stone wall to the point where it's like they're not even there. Um, and the way that that shows up is off, often using a silencing technique. So um, someone that I knew was in a relationship with a narcissist, they didn't speak to them for a week. They're cohabitating and there's this stonewalling. And so it's a way of basically punishing someone so that their behaviour um, changes and accommodates whatever the narcissist needs. And so would that mean that some people become submissive to that because it's so hard to break down the stone wall? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So the the thing with, um, because there's been this, it's almost like a setup right from the start. You can imagine a movie being sort of set up where you've um, sacrificed maybe a job or something to the point where you're now dependent on the relationship and all of a sudden you're kind of stuck. It can make it much more difficult to get out of. Okay, stonewalling. Mm. Great. What else? Um, this idea of breadcrumbing. So if you imagine... Oh, I love all bread, these terms. Yeah. Breadcrumbing. Bread um, so breadcrumbing is like dropping little crumbs of along the way. This touches in with what we said in uh, episode one about intermittent reinforcement. And so if someone's uh, really feeling like this relationship's not working for me, I'm out of here, then they'll get a crumb of, hey, let's go on a picnic today, hun. And then all of a sudden you've gone out and, oh, this guy isn't so bad after you all. Hope. You've got a sense of hope, you let down your guard, you follow the rules and so on, and then you cycle back around. And that that's actually where the sense of exhaustion can come from is cycling around the moments of good times and lots and lots of kind of just really destructive times. And so clients can show up, say, in therapy or in, in coaching saying, oh, but we went for, you know, a drive on, on Sunday. And, and then if you ask the question, well, when was the last time you went for a drive? Oh, it was like, this is our first one ever. And so there's this quality in, with breadcrumbing where it's like we've the person feels that this is an amazing thing, but actually when you start to look at it, it's like, hang on a minute, this is one thing out of the last six months. And this is where the, where the individual's own sense of low self-esteem can kind of feed into this of almost like that's all I deserve. The other piece of that breadcrumbing is often family and friends can look at the dynamic and go, they're not right for you. 
What are you doing with them? Look at how they're treating you. And when you notice yourself making excuses for your partner, oh, they're just busy, they've got a lot on their plate and so on, it's likely that that feeds into it as well. Wow. Are there any other of these great terms? I'm thinking of one immediately, gaslighting, but is that the next one? Yes, absolutely. So gaslighting um, is a term where your feeling when you've been gaslighted is you, you doubt your own sense of reality. So a really simple example might be you've um, got angry uh, the day before, or you've had a conversation. And then the next day your partner says, we didn't have an argument yesterday. What are you talking about? And then you get angry again. And the gaslighting is, what are you doing getting angry about? This is just nonsense. You're talking rubbish. And you start to think, well, did we? What did we say? And when you start feeling like you need to record your conversations, it's a real sign that it's quite pathological because they're distorting reality to the point where it makes you question your own reality and therefore your own sanity and can be very, very unstabilizing. So is there anything else that we can see as a behaviour? Unfortunately, yes. Um, There's also the pattern of what we call baiting. And uh, I remember um, I was in a dynamic with someone that was quite narcissistic. And what they would do was kind of poke and prod to the point, so I'd be all calm and zen, or, you know, might have just been at the, you know, gone for a big walk, all calm and zen. And they'd somehow have the ability to say something that would just get me in this reaction. And as soon as I've reacted, it's I'm the one that's got the, you know, poor emotional regulation, or I'm the one that's impatient, or there's this real sense of putting the other person down when they respond to being baited, when ultimately they're actually being poked and prodded in the first place. And so it's the fact that they know what to say mm. to get that reaction. Absolutely. It's like they know our soft spots. And uh, and so in the baiting um, process, the reason why, I mean, it kind of doesn't make sense. Why would someone treat someone like that? The reason why this, the, all these breadcrumbing and baiting goes on is because the narcissist is so focused on themselves being perfect. So they almost need to find fault in another person to prop up their sense of grandiosity. So this baiting where you react in a negative way to things that they've said and done, reinforce that you're the bad one and not them, which lowers your own self-esteem, which makes it harder to get out of this. And it sounds like all four of those things, mm. breadcrumbing, gaslighting, stonewalling and baiting are actually all interdependent or have some intersection in their reactions. Bea, I want to ask you, what type of person tends to get entangled with a narcissist? It's unfortunate in that there's there's a kind of pattern or a flavour. One is what we would call empaths. So people that are very caring and loving, usually very patient, uh, good-natured and so on, they can tend to not be overly suspicious. And at the very beginning, they get kind of drawn into this spider's web. And also this sense of like, oh, the poor thing, you know, I understand they've had a tough childhood and therefore kind of excusing their behaviour. But unfortunately, to the point where often it becomes abusive, that sense of empathy, certainly because it's not reciprocated. So this is part of the the challenge is that someone that's very empathic doesn't actually receive any empathy back. Mm. So sometimes it feels like this person is almost like our soulmate. There can be this sense of chemistry and compatibility, but actually the research shows it's often because underneath it we have the same patterns of insecurity and the same patterns from childhood. They just show up in different ways from a narcissist to someone that's more empathic. Mm. The other thing in terms of someone that gets um, drawn in, so one narcissist that I know is actually very callous and he will scan the room, say at a bar, and he will pick 
women that he can tell are insecure, a little bit shy, a little bit kind of full of self-doubt and so on. Um, and actually they're the ones that are the target for him. Um, and Consciously? Consciously. And so the question was, well, how do you know? And he said it's just the way they tilt their head, the way they avoid eye contact and so on. So it's almost like a, a bully looking for people to bully in looking the playground. Looking for the victim. Mm. Wow. So how do we cope with a narcissist in our personal life? We're going to talk about work in yeah. our next episode, but how do we cope with a narcissist in our personal life? Yes. Be? So assuming um, that we're in a relationship with a narcissist, there's a couple of different strategies. One is um, we call it becoming like a grey stone. And if you imagine a grey stone, it's like inert. It doesn't react. It's just like it's just sitting there, not doing anything. That's one strategy. Because, so you don't kind of engage in the baiting. You don't engage in the um, in the uh, gaslighting and so on. It's like you withdraw all of your emotional engagement from this person kind of as a way of, you know, working through getting up your reserves. Hopefully you're seeing a therapist to help support you in what's going on um, so that you're not constantly drained by this constant fighting and being attacked. And I think that's a very important thing for us to note. We feel drained, mm. exhausted by the exchange. Beyond exhausted. Because I've got clients who say to me, I just give in because it's so hard. Yes. And I have a friend. Yeah, and a friend who said it's easy to be married to them than not to be married to them. I know many, many people who would say, I can't get out. It's too hard. I'm too scared. It's too big. Um, And so it's more about how do we get a strategy that keeps people safe? Now, um, I would never um, suggest that someone stays in a situation where they're physically unsafe. Um, and there's a lot of support, particularly for women around that. Um, but often it's actually the psychological damage that's a real problem. So one of the things around um, if you're in that kind of dynamic is as much as you can to step back, even in terms of your uh, emotional engagement, sharing your thoughts, trying to save the relationship and so on, really kind of withdrawing and taking that elsewhere and really getting some support. That's one step. The other step is I mean, ultimately, if you imagine you've got your, you're living with like a tiger, that if you poke it, it's going to attack. It's like walk away slowly if you can in a way that doesn't kind of um, provoke that person. And most of the time our, our advice is when working with a narcissist or trying to get out of that dynamic with a narcissist is to leave. Because, we've, as we've said, the narcissist is very low in the emotional regulation and self-awareness. They don't tend to be open, say, even to couples counselling, to changing and so on. And it's very, very difficult to actually um, repair those kinds of relationships. This has been another fascinating episode. We're going to continue to talk about how we cope with narcissists in our workplace. But here in this episode, I've really learned a lot about the dynamic Mm. when you're in an intimate relationship with a narcissist and what's going on for both parties. Is there any last tips for us before we move on? Absolutely. So there's one thing that I would recommend in terms of being either in a friendship or intimate relationship with a narcissist is they tend to leave you doubting your own inner wisdom, your own inner knowing, that own little voice. And that's what happens at the beginning of a relationship where it's like, oh, this isn't quite right. And you override it. That actually one of the ways out of a relationship with a narcissist, even if it's a friendship, is really tune into that voice and listen to your own inner knowing. And just like, say, a narcissist is focused on the other person with blame, 
when you're hooked in a dynamic with a narcissist, you can really get focused on them and their behavior. And one of the ways to unhook is really almost ignore them, that idea of, you know, become like a gray stone towards them, but really notice your own responses and how you're getting hooked into this dynamic. And that level of self-awareness is part of your ticket out of there. Wow. Fantastic tips. Neutralizing that relationship would be a great goal Mm. and achievement. I really appreciate your time, B, in explaining that. Can't wait to talk about narcissists at work. Thank you. If this episode has raised any concerns or issues for you, please contact your GP, mental health professional, or reach out to Lifeline on 13114. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov, Audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.